0: You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews That inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guests. Welcome to Season 1. Sorry for the interruption, but this podcast is brought to you by Footy International. Footy International is a forward-thinking, sustainable apparel company based in Austin, Texas that creates socks geared for worldwide adventures. The co-founders engineered these socks from plastic bottles to optimize comfort, durability, and sustainability, all with an entirely USA-made supply chain. With specifically added technology like antimicrobial treatment and rib sole knitting, you can wear these everywhere you explore, every day. And socks are just a start for this company. Keep an eye out for their new product releases coming soon. Save the planet and your feet today by using code MIC 10 for 10% off sitewide at footyinternational.com Welcome back, everybody. Today's guest is a papal missionary of mercy and full-time evangelist for the Catholic Church. Despite recently having a bout with cancer and spending some time in the hospital, he's continued to compile quite an extraordinary life. You might recognize him from his trending hashtag, The Bourbon Fairy, in which he gifted Pope Francis a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle and OFC. Or you might recognize him by his recent video appearance on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. My next guest... Father Jim Sitchko. Father, thanks for being here.
1: That's great to be with you, Benny.
0: <laughs> We've known each other for some time now, or at least pretty much my entire life, uh, That's true. growing up with you around the area and getting to witness your lovely homilies throughout my time <laughs> growing up in the Catholic Church. Um, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful that you were able to come and sit down with us today. Sure.
1: Anything you. for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of an idea of how I you know, planned for the interview to go today, I know they want to hear not only about what you're up to currently, but also what you've been through and what has gotten you into the position that you currently are. So maybe just start off and go through some of your younger years. Tell me about your experiences growing up. The listeners want to know about you and where you're from and what your childhood was like. And we'll kind of build into uh, where you are now based off this.
1: Right. So I I grew up in Orange, Texas, uh, as I refer to it as the fruit. I went to St. Mary's Catholic School, then switched over to MB North Middle School, then went to West Orange Stark High School and uh, graduated in 1985. And then from there, went off to music school, uh, majoring in, in vocal performance and opera, and um, was always involved in in the city. Ever since I was a little kid, I just loved doing things, mostly from that, from I learned from my parents, my Father was active in the school board. He was uh, President of the Chamber of Commerce, President of Rotary Club. My mother was very active in church and and so that that is something that is just built into me it's part of part of my blood and uh, I always wanted to, to go to be a priest, uh, but other things took precedence, like my music and wanting to perform and all of that and and so I went through. Music school, very prestigious music school, New England Conservatory, and what was very interesting is is that I really was it. It just I just wasn't fulfilled. I, I mean, it was nice, but it wasn't a fulfilling sense of peace. And this is what I'm called to do. And um, I always knew I was called to ministry. Um, I just didn't know how to to get there. And so I very much through prayer, through being active in the church in both college and after college, I decided to give seminary a try and uh, was studying for here in, in the local Southeast Texas area. And they, the the diocese, I mean, this is pretty much in my book, decided that Really, I wasn't a good fit for here for whatever reasons. And um, then I moved to Kentucky and I decided on Kentucky because Lexington is a very small region, but yet very diverse. So it has uh, everything from millionaire horses, as we know, uh, the Thoroughbred, the Kentucky Derby is in Louisville to the mountain area of which houses the poorest of the poor in our country and in our world. And, and so there was a great mix there. And, and I said, well, if I'm called to be a priest and if this is what I'm called to do, then God will provide. And he did. And I, I was ordained there. And that was almost 24 years ago. And so I was pastor of a very, one of our largest parishes there. And then um, I got the call from Pope Francis uh, in the Year of Mercy to be one of his 700 papal missionaries throughout the world. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. And it, it's kind of taken a life on its own, to be really uh, frank with you. So my full-time work is not only being an evangelist of traveling the world, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, but it's also, uh, I've turned it into kind of like a um, random act of kindness type of uh, minister, where every day I do these random acts of kindness that are both small scale and large scale. It pretty much is what I'm moved to or what I'm called to do. And so I trust uh, God's calling in my heart, and I do these, what some may say is very crazy or outlandish, or some even say impossible, um, random acts of kindness, and I tweet out about them. I'm, I'm very active on social media, and um, I follow the whole aspect of you've got to know the voice of God in your life, and um, that voice can be spoken in many different ways. The way that God may speak to me is not the way God will speak to you or your listeners. And so, you know, I, I then have been doing that for six and a half, almost seven years.
0: Well, we sure appreciate it. And we love yeah. the amazing stories and content that you post. You've developed quite the following on your social media yeah. channels, but within that explanation there and kind of talking about your upbringing, yeah. there were two big things I wanted to you know, follow up on and talk about a little sure. further. The first being, Your beautiful mother, Miss Marie. (laughs) Yes, yes. Please talk about her and what all you've done to honor her life with Miss Marie's spaghetti sauce and how all that has come to be.
1: So, uh, I was very blessed to have some great parents. And um, my mother uh, was a character, four foot nine, you know, and an amazing woman, Uh, a lot of get up and go, so to speak. And one of the things that my mom would always do. And I remember this. It's one of my earliest memories of my mother. Is that on Tuesdays um, she would be up cooking and making sauce and spaghetti and uh, ravioli and making pasta dough. And in our dining room, um, she would have set four uh, four place settings of the best china, the crystal, the silver. Um, You know, stuff that we didn't use every day in our home. It was stuff that only when special guests came. And I remember every Tuesday around 11 a.m., um, there would be a loud horn that would sound. And in the door, in our front door on Fairway Drive, would come four huge, stinky, smelly garbage men. And my mother would escort them, not to the kitchen, but she would escort them to the dining room table and she would have us serve them. And for their hour, they would spend eating my mother's sauce and food and chicken and just unbelievable. And uh, when my mom died, um, she provided uh each of her kids one thing from her will and the one thing that i got was her spaghetti sauce recipe and uh i carry it everywhere i go and all my brothers and sisters i'm the youngest of five all my brothers and sisters want it and they ain't getting it because it was it was given to me and uh I remember for her ninetieth birthday, in observance of her ninetieth birthday, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to make her sauce, since I had the recipe, and I didn't know really how to do that. I only wanted to make forty bottles of it, and I remember sending the recipe to a friend of mine who's an amazing chef, Giada De Laurentiis, and I asked her, you know, what she thought about it because my mom's sauce. Uh, what's very unique about it is it, it doesn't have any sugar. It's all natural. And uh, Giada said, well, you know what? You should not just make 40 bottles of this. You should make 1,000 bottles of this. And I'm like, well, that's great. Well, who, what am I going to do with 1,000 bottles? And she said, well, you're going to sell it. And I'm like, well, I'm not making money off my mother. I mean, anyone that knew my mother knows that, I mean, I would be struck down in a minute. So one of the things I thought, uh, which really came to me, was that I would create this sauce and I would sell it, but half of the proceeds would go to Southeast Texas Hospice, which is located, which was founded in Orange, Texas, which is one of the first 10 hospices in the United States, and it is the first hospice in Texas. And it is a nonprofit hospice. That's how hospices started out a long time ago. They weren't for profit. These um, hospices long ago, and there are still some today, but what's very interesting, hospices really were to come in and not only assist the individual in their last days, but they were also to assist the family members. And they were also really to make sure that the person who was dying was kept comfortable, not not drugged up on morphine, but but kept comfortable. And that's what Southeast Texas Hospice did um, for my family. And then the other half of the proceeds would go to feeding the poor in Appalachia, uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. And um, so I launched this sauce three years ago and um, we've already sold 50,000 bottles, raised over $100,000 for these charities. It's found, it can be found in uh, Whole Foods or Kroger's or William and Sonoma and various, uh, uh, various markets. It's, uh, it's been picked up by Delta Airlines. I mean, it has just gone crazy and, and you can get it at what online at Miss Marie's such a long name. Uh, but anyway, um, and, and it's all natural and all the proceeds go to charity. And so it, it's just been an amazing adventure.
0: And I will say this, this is not any sort of uh, promotion here, but, or it is a promotion strictly from the bottom of my heart, but it yeah. is delicious. And I can oh, vouch you. for it. Uh, yeah. it's really, I, I honestly didn't know where the whole backstory came from with, her feeding all of the college yeah. men that would come through. And so that's cool to hear. And I yeah. can see why it means so much after hearing a little bit more of the backstory behind it.
1: Uh, right. But- and it's that whole aspect of, of which I really have kind of focused uh, the, the ministry of which I'm called to is that whole giving and receiving. Um, it takes a lot of effort to give. Uh, and for some people, it takes a lot of effort to receive. But it's amazing that if you're open and making the effort to give, and you're open to making the effort to receive, it's a win-win situation. You never can lose in a giving-receiving mode. You may think you can, but you can't.
0: Very well said. Those very, yeah. uh, very inspirational, right there. That's sure. a the quote we got, we got for you. <laughs> but. Uh, In your first explanation, I said there were two things I wanted to touch on, the first of which being your beautiful mother, Miss Marie. So thank you for talking about that. But also, can you clear up for me one and also the people who are going to listen to this? But you mentioned that Pope selected you for, you know, the position of being a papal missionary of mercy. What exactly does it mean to be selected for that? How does it you know, how do you become selected for that? And then what is your role now? I know you mentioned you travel and you are a full time evangelist for the Catholic Church. But what does the process look like? beforehand and before you get that role?
1: So, so I was a parish priest, and that's what most people recognize priests as, you know, um, their they're pastor of a local church, okay? And so I was that. Um, I will say that wasn't my calling or that isn't my calling at this time. It wasn't at that time either. It's really, to me, very confining. Um, some, people, some people are very called to that. You know, um, I just happened not to be. Um, But in God's providence and time, uh, I was coming near to the end of my 12 year stint as a pastor in Richmond, Kentucky. And on my 11th year, Pope Francis had issued a special Jubilee year of mercy. In other words, it was a special year focused on how can we as a church a global church provide and be examples of god's mercy to others and 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 to ourselves and so what he did was he came up with the aspect of finding 700 priests throughout the world that could be representatives of him and god's mercy and grace and so it was really something that was just to be a year long, um, assignment on top of all of the other assignments that a priest may have. Okay. So I would be a pastor and a missionary of mercy. So that was going on my last year of being a pastor. And after that, um, Pope Francis elongated. What he did was he said, I'm going to take a group of these 700 and I'm going to ask them to become this full time or indefinitely. And my bishop said, well, that's interesting. Not only are you now a full-time papal missionary, but you're ending your time as a pastor, how would you like to possibly be a full-time evangelist traveling the world? He said, you get so many offers to speak. How about if we try to see about you doing this full-time? And I was so psyched by that, that I then blurted out, and I'm serious, literally blurted out. I said, well, I will do it under one condition if you're willing, and that is that I don't take a salary, that I don't take any living expense, that I don't take any insurance or food, that I do exactly what the disciples and the apostles did long ago, is that I have one suitcase. And I literally go town to town, state to state, nation to nation, preaching the good news and living solely off the goodness of the people I'm called to serve. And I will simply wait for invitations to come and speak. And that's why if anyone sees my schedules, they will see that my speaking is not geographical. In fact, in geographical locations during certain times of the year. I mean, I go from Lexington to Houston, to Kansas, to Nebraska, to California, then out to Singapore, then to Malaysia, then back to New York, then over to Colorado, then up to Canada, then down to Mexico. So it it, it just is that, and um, that's what's happened. And so for six and a half years, I have totally lived out of a suitcase and gone town to town, state to state, nation to nation. And by God's grace, um, being able to do these amazing random acts of kindness by really the support and the foundation of Catholics and non-Catholics alike who simply support this type of of living.
0: That just absolutely amazes me because that was news to me. I didn't realize that you were able to do all of these things based off of what others had already given to you. I thought this was just kind of out of the goodness of your heart. You were taking whatever you made and giving it away. And this is more so just returning the favor of what
1: people have gifted to you. That's exactly right. And what is also very interesting is every year it zeroes out. So what's ever left over goes to the diocese to help the poor, and then I start all over again. So it's not as if I have this little gold mine sitting here every year, even in the midst of COVID. And I'll tell you something, even in the midst of COVID, I never missed a day of speaking. I've never missed a day of traveling. There were many times I was traveling on a huge jetliner simply by myself and the flight attendants. Um, There were many times that, you know, there were maybe four people on a flight that, um, a flight that sat 138 people, you know, so I never ever stopped uh, that I did take the necessary precautions for me, as anyone would do, but um, I never canceled or stopped um, traveling internationally or national.
0: Well, with all of that travel. Yeah. you've been able to amass quite the track record of celebrity friends and sure. i've always been kind of amazed at how it all comes to be and how you meet all these amazing people and just last week i saw you sitting next to you know the ceo of bullet bourbon on the plane yeah. and it's just it's just crazy to me that you know i guess i'll backtrack a little bit here from having listened to your homilies growing up often you know i've i've heard them plenty of times a lot of times the stories that you give are very engaging and people are always on the edge of their seats wanting to know what's going to happen next in the story that you're telling during your homily. And I've always in the back of my mind thought that, you know, maybe there's a slight exaggeration in the story here or there. But then I hear about you actually knowing all of these incredible celebrities and different people. And so, the more I've started to believe those stories as I've gotten older.
1: Well, I I think the thing is, is that, you know, just as with anything, you have to be open and you have to be persevering. Okay. So if you're not going to be open to the amazing things that can come your way, then you're going to miss something. Okay. So, I mean, it's not always that I'm in the right place at the right time. It's often that God puts these people in my life, and is, uh, I have the opportunity to either present myself, to um, kind of put myself there, or to let it go. It takes perseverance, you know? That's what I always say about, about working with God, is that, you know, God never does everything, anything by himself he always involves the other and you have to be willing to do the work so that if god gives you a gift well he's going to give it to you but he expects you to use it he res- expects you to refine it and he expects you to m- mature it and-, and to use it and and that's what happens you know so i mean it's crazy so like I fly a lot of times with with my bloodhound, Gracie Marie. And and, uh, so she goes underneath the seat and there was a person that didn't want to sit next to a dog because of all things, they're a cat person. So that's their loss. Okay. It wasn't my loss. But immediately a woman said, well, I'll sit. You know what I mean? She was like, well, that's ridiculous. Um, I'll sit next to him. So she comes and sits down. Who does it happen to be the owner and the president of bullet bourbon? Well, wow. That's an amazing contact. And we visited and talked and I'm going to their house for dinner in April down in Naples, Florida. That's how it works. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but, but, but that's how things happen. Um, you know, you you've got you've got to be open to that. I could have sat in that seat and pouted that someone didn't want to sit next to me, put my face against the window, and feel like, "Oh poor me or what 's wrong with me you know but but you can't take that attitude you know you've got to be out there you've got to put yourself you know and and uh, that's why I always tell when I meet and and i've met a lot of interesting and well known people. the first thing I tell them um when I meet them is number one, please don't give me your cell number. I know you're going to want to, but I'm going to ask you not to, because if you do give me that cell number, you will hear from me. And I mean, it will be in a form of a favor for someone else. It will be in a form uh, to do something good for someone else. I mean, I'm going to use the gifts that you have to help others. And I'm grateful that individuals have, have trusted me with that.
0: Well, it's often, I'm sure if you've got any good sort of sense of moral compass, that it's hard to say no to something like that. And I'm sure they've been able to do some amazing things after you've reached out with those favors. Yes. Mention in there talking about how you've got to have the right attitude about it, despite whatever you may be, may be going through whatever, you know, you can't sit down and say, Oh, poor pitiful me. You've got to have a great attitude about things and change your outlook this is a good time to kind of segue into maybe talk to us about your recent illness and how you were able to keep a positive outlook through that. And maybe just describe the
1: whole experience for us a little bit. Yeah. Well, th- there again, is, is a crazy situation. So um, I can be known by my doctor friends as one who diagnoses himself, even though I have no medical degree, even though I have no understanding of, Anything medical, um, I will go to my doctor and say, I have this, this, this. (laughs) He'll say, No, that's a scratch. And B, um, No, you don't need stitches. And, you know, just kind of chill out, you know. So for several, um, I had had some surgery on my left side. And where they did it laparoscopically was a little itch. And so I would always go to my doctor and say, You know, I have this itch. And he's like, Yes, we've been through this. It's a scar tissue, you know, and I'm like, "Well, I googled it, and it, and WebMD says it's a spleen enlargement." And he's like, "No, no, you don't have spleen spleen enlargement." Well, one day I must have caught him on a a rather uh, a busy day, I remember, and I came into the office. This was right before Thanksgiving. I came into his office, and what what your listeners and viewers need to understand is that. I'm only in town, I'm only in my home, one and a half days a week, the rest of the time I'm on the road. So when I get to town, I have appointments like with my doctor with my bishop going through mail going doing banking, paying the bills, you know, so I went to my doctor. And I said, Hey, do you remember I talked to you about that itch? And he's like, Yeah, I said, Well, it's still there. And he said, You know, I'm really tired of hearing about this. And he said, we're going to take a CT scan today. And I said, oh, no, 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 we're not. And he's like, well, then I don't want to hear about it anymore because I told you what it is. And uh, I was like, oh, no, now what am I going to talk to him about? You know, so we went and did the CT scan and I left and the CT scan was just around the abdomen area. And lo and behold, it was scar tissue. Well, on the right side, near the bottom of the CT scan, there was a little shadow. And the radiologist said, I don't know what this shadow is. He said, in order to know what it is, we're going to have to get a fuller CAT scan. Well, I'm, I'm already on the road. You know, and so my doctor called and said, when you come back in three or four weeks, let's get a full CAT scan. Well, I wasn't having that. So I called my friend who is happens to be the head of the Mayo Clinic. And I called him up. I told him about it. He said, where are you preaching this week? I said, I'm preaching in Phoenix. He said, we have a, a, a Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. He said, I want you to go there tomorrow and I want you to get scanned. And there you go. We'll take care of you. So I did. And when I did get scanned, they found they found incidentally, which means I had no symptoms. They found incidentally that I had a tumor on my right kidney, the size of a walnut. And he said to me, he said, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's cancer. And he said, this is caught very early. We can tell by the scans and you need to have this taken out robotically. And when can you do it? And I said, well, I, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, sooner the better. I said, well, I want to go to Rome to meet the Pope on December 19th. And he said, we'll take it out December 3rd. And that's what happened. And it was done robotically and they removed it. They removed my kidney robotically. I mean, it's kind of weird going into surgery and seeing a robot and your surgeon, through the window at controls, you know? And um, so he took out that tumor, he took out the kidney and thank God he did because when pathology came back, it showed not only one tumor in my kidney, but two tumors and both of the tumors were a different type of kidney cancer, okay? So they removed the cancer And because all the margins were clean, and because all of the, there was no, um, what they call, um, no lymph involvement, there is no other treatment that I have to have. No chemo, no radiation. What I do have to have is every six months, a scan done. And um, one of the things that that really taught me was a whole nother level of mercy And thanksgiving and kindness for healthcare workers. Um, It gave me a whole nother insight. It's somewhat embarrassing, and that is that I never had to wait more than 30 minutes for a test result or to schedule a surgery. Okay. People in our world, someone is waiting today for a result of a scan they might have had four or five days ago you know, and, and that's anxiety. That's, that's, I mean, that's really anxious to be waiting to see whether or not you may have a life or death situation. And so it really put me in touch with what people go through, you know, but at the other aspect, it really did teach me that prayer that a lot of us as Christians say, and that is not my will be done, but God's will be done. Do you know Vinny, there's nothing I can do about that, those tumors on my kidney, okay? There's nothing I can do about it, okay? I mean, I, I wish if, you know, I, I mean, I need to eat healthier probably. I need to exercise more. But nothing I can do about it. And what's so amazing about it is that an incidental scan, a doctor who said to me, I'm tired of listening about this scratch on the opposite side of your body, that, that really saved my life. I mean, it saved my life. I mean, if I, the doctors had shared, if I waited five or six years and I started having symptoms, it, it would have been too late, you know? And so for right now, it is what it is. And there's really nothing I can, I can do about it. Well, so I had this surgery and they do it robotically. I was in the hospital on Monday. I got out on Tuesday morning. I was supposed to have six to eight weeks of recoup time. And three days later, I'm in Canada speaking, you know, and then from Canada, I went to Rome from Rome. I came back to the United States from there. I went to Kansas and then Houston. I mean, thanks be to God that, I mean, I'm tired and I should have taken the time off, but um, I believe that there are lessons that can be learned through it.
0: Well, absolutely. And I think you've just preached a few of those lessons to all those listening to this. And it's kind of comparable to, you know, not only have you been able to meet all these great people by quite, you know, a a strange coincidence on a lot of occasions, but also on another strange occasion, this, you know, accidental or incidental occasion where you had them check on something that they probably didn't want to check on anymore. It turned out to save your life. And that's something that is a story that we all need to hear so that we all learn about the power of those incidental situations and falling into the right place at the right time. Right. And the point
1: of listening to one's body, you know, and being persistent, you know, we're, we're a piece as humans, we're constantly changing. We're, you know, I, I get a physical every year. Okay. My blood work is great. Okay. so, there was no notice of any problem with me, okay? It it was incidentally found, and that incidental finding, that radiologist who saw that little shadow and persisted in me getting more of uh, another scan done, really... Uh, you know, saved my life. So it all worked together. You know, when we do our job and do it well, um, it's amazing how it affects others and how uh, that can affect another person's life without even knowing it. Absolutely. And I think you, you know, you
0: you say that very well, where everyone's going to be able to resonate with it and it'll mean something different to every single person that listens to it and hopefully take it to heart.
1: Uh Every one of us, you know, I I think the thing is, and and we have to realize this, every one of us, and I say it over and over, all of us are going through things that no one else knows about. And that's why I really challenge people to to be kind and to uh, think before they speak and to realize that there are people who may be different than we are, who may act different than we do, but we never know what they're going through. And that's why we should always try our best to treat people with respect and kindness. That's why I, I, I do these random acts of kindness. You know, I, I'll just tell you, uh, three weeks ago, I was in Nebraska speaking. And there was that, that urge within my heart, and I always follow my heart. And there was this couple sitting catacorner to me, and I just told the waiter, I said, I'm going to buy their meal and send them a little note uh, just saying that their meal was taken care of. And I watched them open that card, and they just busted out crying. And, and I went up to them to say, you know, I hope I didn't offend you. And they were like, no, no, no. The one woman said, today, I completed my last chemo treatment. I had stage four breast cancer. And today was the day that I rang the bell and I finished my treatment. And my husband and I were coming out to celebrate. And only the two of only he and I knew about that. And she said, for me, this was a sign that all would be well. You know, and people say to me, how, how does this happen to you? How do you do that? Well, you know what? It happens to all of us, but you've got to be in touch with yourself. You've got to be in touch with, as I say, God's voice speaking to you. You know, all of us have that intuition. All of us have that, that voice inside us that tells us don't do that or don't do that or do this. And sometimes we allow our mind to override us which gets us into more trouble if we would have just paid attention to the voice in our heart.
0: That was one thing that I definitely can learn from because a lot of times I feel myself looking back and thinking that I should have approached something a little bit differently and done something a little bit different or a little bit more or a little more all out than I did prior. And there was always that voice in the back of my head telling me that I just didn't listen to it. Yeah. So we do all need to be a little more in tune with that voice of God talking to us. Um, But there's I'm going to change gears here a little bit. I want to go back to your recent experience with Pope Francis and how that all came to be, how you went and visited. um, Tell me about who you took with you and how the whole trip went all together.
1: Right. So you're speaking about my most recent visit because I I have visited with Pope Francis many times, which is a great opportunity in itself. But recently, um, I decided to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with Pope Francis. I got an invitation to come to St. Peter's Basilica and to celebrate Midnight Mass with Pope Francis. However, he has it at 730 in the evening before Christmas Eve. Christmas Day, and so I decided to invite my family to come with me. And uh, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I invited them to live with me. And I have the great opportunity and the privilege uh, and uh, to live with Pope Francis himself in his uh, in the residence where he lives. Um, unlike most Holy Fathers, uh, most Popes, he doesn't live in the Apostolic Palace. He lives in a 300 room dormitory, just like any college dormitory, believe it or not. And uh, so, I invited my brothers and sisters to come and stay with me Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with Pope Francis. And he just walks around the house freely around the dorm, and uh, you know it was an amazing opportunity. And I always bring him gifts when I I go there. This time, I brought him a basketball signed by coach cow from the university of Kentucky. I brought him some, uh, OFC bourbon, which is extremely rare. And, uh, I had this plan that I was going to give these gifts to the Pope for Christmas. And then I was going to ask the Pope to take them back and I was going to auction them off because there was a devastating tornado in Western Kentucky. And I thought I could raise a few bucks uh, for them uh, on that. And so that's what I did. I, I went and on Christmas Eve, I presented Pope Francis with his gifts and he he loved the bourbon and he took the basketball and we took pictures together and we talked about it. And uh, then as we were walking down the hall, him holding the bourbon and the basketball, I I turned to him and I said, you know, Pope Francis, w- would you be upset if I asked for my gifts back? And he was like, well, I thought they were gifts for me. And I'm like, well, they are, but I would like to gift them to someone else who could possibly help me raise money for those in need in Western Kentucky. And he immediately gave them back. I put them online for an auction with pictures of him receiving the gifts. And uh, $16,000 later, I was able to uh, raise money for a bottle of bourbon and a basketball uh, that the Pope received and uh, was able to help a few people out in Western Kentucky.
0: Well, I can imagine Pope Francis surprise whenever yes, he asked for it, back. it would have thrown anyone for a loop, but at the end of the day, it was for the right reasons. And that's, really that's an incredible right. story. I would have never even thought to have done something like that. And so it was a well, unique way to you know, raise that money.
1: Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't really think about it until I was on the eight hour flight over. And I was like, you know, what could I, I mean, I'm going to give him this, but what good can come from this besides just, you know, for the Pope? And when I just came up with this idea, well, maybe I can take these gifts back and auction them off or try to find some way to generate funds for the people who have been so um, devastated in a moment's notice by uh, a force of nature and, you know, and being at Christmas time. And so that's what I did. And again, it took perseverance to do that. It took guts to do that, you know, to give a gift and then see the Pope walking back down the hall and run up to him and say, um, excuse me, <laughs> could I get these back? And, you know, <laughs> you know, but but you, you do what you believe in and you've got to, again, follow your heart to make it work.
0: Absolutely, and that is a great story, and I'm going to definitely have to share that one uh, yep. probably prior to the podcast episode oh, coming sure. out, because that'll be a good one that people enjoy. Yeah. Uh, however, I've only got, I got two more questions for you. I'm not going to keep you all day long, but um, we've talked about your recent experience with Pope Francis. Another one of the things that I mentioned uh, in your little intro there was your recent experience on the highway uh, in the <sighs> snowstorm
1: yes video
0: you released and how you were featured on uh the tonight show with jimmy fallon and I, I mean the video is funny in and of itself i hate to say funny because i know you yeah. were definitely in a struggle you know in a struggling place at that yeah. moment looking back though i think we've all been able to hinder a little bit of joy from it um yeah. and laugh at what you were talking about but take us through that whole experience what happened where were you and uh just the so- whole
1: story First of all, you have to realize that um, very rarely um, do I wear my clerical collar and various things like that because people seem to treat me different when I'm in my collar. And if you don't believe it, go to a clerical store, buy one and wear it for a day and just see how people treat you different. OK, so I left my house in Kentucky at 10 a.m. They were I will say this, that they were expecting snow that day, but there was no snow on the ground. Okay. So I put on my pajama pants and a hoodie and my sandals. Okay. With no socks. (laughs) And I'm kind of a, a, a Starbucks addict. Okay. I get this grande almond milk latte with blonde espresso, ristretto and no foam. Okay. And, um, Starbucks is only 10 minutes from my house off the interstate. So I went to the Starbucks where it started to snow, 10 minutes down the road, started to snow. And I said, you know what, before this gets too bad, I'm gonna run to the post office and get my mail, okay? And then get back on the interstate. And now it's starting to snow heavily, but this is now only 20 minutes into it, okay? So I get back on the interstate and I look at my GPS, And it's, and it's back, the interstate is backed up for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. No one knows how to drive in this snow. It's the first snow of the season. So I decide to get off on another exit. And as I'm trying to get off on that exit, a car skids and blocks that exit. So I said, well, I'm just going to have to go on the interstate. And so I'm going to the interstate. I'm two miles from my house and I come to a complete dead stop. All right, dead stop. So I said, okay, well, there someone, you know, something has happened, but we'll get through this. Well, <laughs> seven hours later, stuck on the interstate with thousands of drivers, literally thousands and seven inches of unplowed snow, I'm stuck. So (laughs) while these seven hours are going, now mind you, I'm in sandals, no socks, pajama pants, a hoodie, no food, no water, no blanket, enough gas, and no jacket. I can't walk home because my feet will freeze, you know, I'm just stuck. And so I decided to make these little videos. And in my car, people know that um, I happen to get a lot of gifts of bourbon because my first time that I ever met Pope Francis is I gave him bourbon. And from that time, that hit and went all over social media, people deliver me bourbon thinking I'm going to give it to the Pope on behalf of them. Okay. Well, (laughs) I can't do that. I have, I mean, people are dropping off bottles and bottles of bourbon. Well, I had some in the car that people had just dropped off. And so I decided to give them to people along the interstate who were stuck not to drink, But as a sign of, you know, I'm sorry this happened to you in Kentucky. Uh, Where are you from? You know, one group was from Tennessee. Another group was from Missouri. Another group was from Florida. And I said, you know, welcome to Kentucky. We're all stranded together. And so I just did random videos uh, to, to pass the time away. And, oh, my gosh, these videos went viral. I mean, I don't understand what was so special about them, to be honest with you. And I mean, CBS News, uh, it was on the Weather Channel. I mean, it was on Jimmy Fallon. It was on NBC. It was I mean, they went by. I mean, people I, I was sleeping and people were calling me from all over the world saying, you know, you were just on the BBC and oh, my gosh, you were just on PBS and oh my gosh, we just saw you on Jimmy Fallon. And another person called me and said, you were going to report this morning on the Weather Channel. And I'm like, how did this happen? And I I mean, it once again shows you the power of social media. I mean, so that's really, I mean, I just got stuck. And for two miles from my house, dressed like a fool. Um, But again, I tell people now, you got to understand that at that time, it wasn't snowing at all. Yes, there was the forecast, but I was just running down the hall or running down the road. And uh, it shows you always be prepared because you never know what's going to happen.
0: We'll start getting you some of the Starbucks K-Cups for uh, Keurig instead of actually having to go to Starbucks Uh, during the cold weather. But no, that is an absolutely crazy story. And you've given us a lot of awesome stories here today. You've told us all about your time growing up and your time with the Pope and your time as a singer. And it's been incredible to hear. And I'm glad I got to share these stories with you. And you have amassed quite the following on social media. And I think it's great that you are so tapped into social media because you have so much great information to share, like a lot of other people. And it's just sometimes people don't tap into social media like they should and share the good news. A lot of times it's, you kind of have to filter through the things that you don't want to see every time you get online. Um, So it's great what you're doing. I, uh, final question here is just, you know, you're the author of two books, you're a motivational speaker, you're a full-time evangelist for the Catholic church. What's next for you? What are the big plans coming up? And then, you know, just any final thoughts you might have.
1: Yeah. So, um, there, it seems like every day there's a big plan, you know, uh, that's how I'm embracing now every day is that, you know, I don't know what tomorrow brings, so today I'm going to live it to the best that I can and do as crazy and uh, as as following the will of God and doing what I need to do. And if that means stepping outside of the boat and stepping outside of my comfort zone, I'm going to do it. My travels have me going over to Asia soon, and then back to Canada, and uh, I'm soon to go back to Rome to be with Pope Francis. So all that's great. Um I'm busy possibly doing a documentary uh as a papal missionary of mercy, um doing opportunities like this, uh being on podcasts and you know, different things like that. So um that's pretty much what life that's enough, so to speak, but uh you know. You never know what's going to come around uh, like I never would have imagined that a simple video would go viral as it did. So live each day for the fullest and do your best not to worry about tomorrow or yesterday. Just do the best you can today.
0: Well, Father Jim, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Quick note for everyone listening. You can purchase Father Jim's books, Among Friends, Story from the Journey, and Encountering God on Amazon or at any major booksellers. And you can find him on Instagram and, and Twitter at Jim Sitchko uh, yep. You can find him on Facebook by searching Father Jim Sitchko or you can search for him online by his website, www.fatherjims.com. That is F-R-J-I-M-S dot com. Father Jim, it's been great. I'm
1: so glad you were able to be here. What an honor. It's honor for me. Let's go. Yeah. I'm like an addict. Do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing, got a really bad habit.